0: If you would, take your Bibles and turn to Revelation chapter 3. We'll finish up in uh, church at Sardis today, and then we have two more churches to, to finish up, Philadelphia and then Laodicea, and we'll finish those right before Christmas Sunday, I believe. So uh, we have a special guest here this morning, Gil Siegler. Nice to have you and your wife with us. He's our director of Thank you. He's our Director of Missions at the uh, Baptist Association and I think you're kind of friends with with those savages even. <laughs> those savages, yeah. So uh, they uh, they spend some time in parish together at the farmer's market and different things. So it's, it's good to have you all with us this morning. You Last week we uh, started this um, and and we talked about the the church, we talked about the identity theft that's going on in the church at Sardis, and I got a text shortly after Swiss Family Robinson uh, saying I named the boy wrong. Did anybody catch that? It's not Arliss, it's Francis. It's the same kid, but it's a different name, (laughs) so it's Francis. I like Arliss better, so uh Francis was the one, but I bring that up because uh I want you to remember the illustration we used about the fortified place that they lived in. The 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 wall, the rock uh the rock wall that was there guarding the city and uh so Revelation chapter three, let's start reading in verse one and to the angel of the church at at Sardis, right? These are the words of him who have the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works, and you have the reputation of being alive, but you're dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. And remember, this is verse 3 then, what you received and what you heard, and keep it and repent. If you do not wake up, I'll come like a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come against you. Yet you have a few in Sardis, uh, still in Sardis, uh, that follow my name. And let me read that again. Yet you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not sold their garments. And they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. In verse 5. To the one who conquers will be clothed us in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life, and I'll confess his name before my Father and before his angels, and he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now I want to just quickly go over last week, if you weren't here last week you can go on the uh, on our Facebook page and you can hear last week's message, but Uh, the church at Sardis, it's a wealthy church. And remember, these are church ages. They're little churches, Asia Minor, but they represent an age of the church. And really, I think we can find a lot of churches that look a lot like Sardis here today. Think of the wealth that we have today, and I'm not talking about just wealth. I'm talking about most of our churches, uh, most of our people, a lot of folks. we, We don't struggle uh, just making it from day to day. So this is a wealthy church. It's a wealthy town. They have a lot of riches. They they uh, struck the gold and silver coins. That was the first place that they were actually made. Uh, but that church was also known as a group of people that had a lot of apathy. They had a lot of immorality going on in the church. And uh, they were really known for loose living. The, the, the folks in... Uh, in sardis and and that spilled over into the church so they they lived for pleasure they lived for luxury they lived uh for the things they could gain for themselves so that's kind of a picture of the church and uh remember that it was built this town was built upon the top of this rock and uh there was some fortified protection there and that that goes on into jesus's description here in just a moment. Christ describes himself as the one who has the seven spirits. And and really what I want to say about that is, remember, as we go back to Revelation chapter 1, if you think back to when we were there, Christ described himself as as the seven spirits, the one who holds the seven spirits, the one who has the, the lampstands. And as we study that passage of Scripture, uh, we're really going to see that Jesus described himself as the one who's having the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's in the churches and the Holy Spirit directs the church and that's how he describes himself. Then we have commendations for the church and and uh, out of the, the churches, this is the only church, well actually there's one more that has no commendations. In other words, he really didn't have anything good to say about this church. Now this is also the only uh, in the six churches that we've talked about, this is are going to talk about. This is the only place where the the somewhat commendation comes after the condemnation. So uh, he says there the the commendation, the best they have is you still have a few names in Sardis. People have not sold their garments and will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. And I want you to think about the churches we talked about in the past, and when we talked about Thyatira, we talked about a church with works, and also, go back to It talked about a church in works. As he addresses this church, he he uses the ideal of a name, and we talked about names last week, but he uses the ideal of a name much in the same way that he used uh, the, the ideal of works as he talks to the church at Smyrna, so... He's, he's thinking about the name and what the church represents. And that's what I want us to do. I want us to think about the name of the church, not East Delta, but the name of the church and what is a church called. Uh, we're called Christians. That's the church of Jesus Christ. So he talks about the names of the church, and we talk about the significance of names. But, but just remember that. And then today, we're going to get into the condemnation, and we'll finish up uh, this church today. So, uh, as he describes these things, as he describes himself, as we understand what the town's all about and what the city looks like, he has this condemnation for the church. Now, I want us to remember, again, the church age that we live in, uh, and whatever age we find ourselves in, whether it's Laodicea or, uh, individually as a church, maybe you find yourself, uh, in the same situation that this church here at Sardis has, but he says to that church, the commandate the, the condemnation, I know your works, you have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead." Uh, you know, I love John Wayne movies. y'all know that because I always use these as a uh, as an example, but but Big Jake, y'all remember Big Jake? That would, of course, be my favorite, wouldn't it? Because I'm Big Jake. That's what uh, they call me at work. I had three Jakes at work for me. We had Big Jake, Little Jake, and New Jake. Okay, that's how they, they kept us apart. But uh, in Big Jake, I'll just give you a little test. What was John Wayne's name? Oh, I'm so ashamed. <laughs> you, what is it? Jacob McCandles. See, my kids had to grow up watching these movies too. Jacob McCandles. And uh, two or three times in that movie, he would meet somebody and they would say, Who are you? And he would say, I'm Jacob McCandles. And they'd say, I thought you were dead. (laughs) And he would say, that'll be the day. (laughs) That'll be the day. Well, Big Jake, Jacob McCandles, uh, was alive, but he had a reputation of being dead. The church here has a reputation of being alive, but they are dead. That's what Christ says. They kind of remind you of the church that had a man die in the service, and they called the paramedics, and they carried five people out before they found the right one. You know, we uh, that was the kind of church they had there. So neither the people living in Sardis or other churches in the area Considered this to be a dead church. So the people there, the people living in the city, the people going to church there, they didn't look at the church and say, we're a dead church. They considered themselves alive. They had they have ministries going on. They were active going on there. They had worship services going on. They had uh, prayer meetings going on. They had committee meetings going on. They were going through all of those things. So they had a reputation of being alive. Everybody said that's a good church. They had a reputation, and that word reputation actually translate name. When you go and look at, at the translation of that word, so Christ says you have a reputation or you have a name of being alive. And that name was just a name only. And, and uh, I think as, as we think about it, the church had probably made a name for itself in other words in the city that the church was probably well known and they, they had made a name for themselves in the in the congregation they were well known and they had made a name for themselves and and Jesus from his position he saw they had a name but he saw beyond below the surface and and he discerns where people really are and he basically said to them you're a christian in name only that's what i really want us to consider today christians who are Christians in name only because we have a church in the church age that Christ looked at and said, basically, you have the name, you have the reputation of being a Christian, but in fact, you're really dead. And the Bible says we're dead when we're lost in our sin and our transgressions. So, so he says, you, 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 you appear to be alive, you have a name that's been alive, but he says in verse 2, I found your works, I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God although their works may appear to be quite effective from man's view and I want us to think about churches that that from man's view they've got everything going on I mean they have these successful ministries and I, I I'm not knocking any church that has a lot of ministries I, I we have a lot of ministries of this church and and uh but this church had that had those accomplishments but here's what this church had done. They, had, they were doing these things in human effort instead of, uh, instead of relying on the guidance of the Holy Spirit. In other words, their human understanding is they said, hey, we're going to put these programs together. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. We're going to, we're going to do all of these things by our human effort, by our human understanding. And they weren't relying on the power of the Holy Spirit. There's a great example, which I'd run out of time, but i got to go back to our student ministries. You know, we we started trying to put something together, and uh, we did that for I don't know how long, uh, for, a, for a year probably. Uh, and and every, we kept hitting the dead end. We kept hitting the dead end, and, and we kept saying, well, we want to do this, we want to do that, we want to do this, we want to do that, to reach out to our students. to our, And finally, we just kind of gave up on it. We just kind of said, well, everywhere we go, we go to a dead end. Well, all of a sudden, God opens this door and says, hey, this is what I want you to do. Now, let me tell you the difference. Where my vision was, my ideal was, hey, let's go choose two or three students out of school and let's, let's help them out somehow. When I thought that was the perfect ideal. I said, oh, we'll go pick them up. We'll take them shopping. We'll do these things for them. God had something much bigger than that in mind. And until we stepped out of the way and I stepped out of the way, then God couldn't do what he wanted to do. And now we reach a lot of students in the school because our focus went from one or two to two campuses of a school, and then the churches in the community have joined in to help with that. So a lot of times as churches, we start relying on our own ability, our own human effort, our own human thoughts, and we leave the Holy Spirit out. And I think this church, when it first started, the people there were on fire for Jesus. They were persistent in prayer. They were relying on the Holy Spirit to reveal to them what they should do to to accomplish the tasks that they needed to accomplish and they were obedient to to god but over time and i think this happens to us spiritually over time they begin to shift from the empowering work of the holy spirit they begin to shift to programs and practices and traditions and and things begin to go really well so they really didn't need the holy spirit anymore they they said you know what we can we can do this on our own so, so we really don't need the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Now, you may say, well, Jake, you're stretching that, but just keep that thought in your mind because we're going to kind of come back to it in a minute and what Christ says to this church. So perhaps the church was so successful that it started getting members from outside. That's the, certainly what churches need to do. We need to go out and the Bible says the fields are wide unto harvest and we need to bring those in. But but in this church, maybe folks began began to come because it was a networking opportunity. Maybe it was just a a good place that they could benefit their business. Or maybe it was just a good place to come have family and friends, just a, a kind of like a country club, just somewhere you could go and... Uh, you know Cheers has the best theme song. Y'all remember Cheers? What was that theme song? Sometime you want to go where everybody knows your name and they're always glad you came. You want to know where you can go and your troubles are all the same. You just want to go somewhere that everybody knows your name. That that theme song, maybe that was the maybe that was the church at Sardis' theme song. Hey, come, everybody knows your name. You know that happened to us one time. You may have remembered this story. When I was at First Baptist Church of Fairview, we were we had a big uh, church. We had a lot of ministries going on. I was youth minister there, and and uh, we had the softball league going on, and we played softball four nights a week. I mean, we played in a a men's league, church league. We played in a co-ed league. We played in a men's competitive league. We were good. We were good. A good softball team. One Sunday. One of the guys on our team, we was using it for outreach. It was going great. He he gets up, he comes down the aisle, and he says, hey, this is what he says, hey, I want to join up. And the pastor said, okay, uh, you know, if you accept the crowd. He said, listen, I ain't interested in any of that stuff. I just want to join up. And the pastor said, hey, you know, you become a part of a church by accepting Jesus Christ, confessing your sins. He said, listen, I'm not interested in any of that stuff. I just want to join up. And the pastor said, well, you know, you can't join if you if you never accepted Christ. So this guy turns around. He's, he's talking to the pastor. He turns around to the congregation and says, let me ask y'all what y'all think. I want to join up. <laughs> and, uh, he says, "I've got to be a Christian." Well, it's pretty uncomfortable, you know, for especially when you coach the softball team. You can't afford to lose him. <laughs> don't, don't get that. Yeah. Y'all can go ahead and laugh. I'm though you're thinking, "Oh no," but uh, but see, he wanted to come be part of a church, but he didn't want to be part of the church. He wanted to be part of the fellowship, the friends, the family, the softball leagues, the 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 get-togethers, the fellowships, and all of those things. All of those are great outreach, but, Father, but folks, we reached those folks that we might introduce them to Jesus Christ. The church at Sardis had missed it they were going through all of those motions. They had a good softball league going. They were, they were winning out, and they, were, they had people looking saying, that's that, that's, that East, that's that East Delta church there. That's that First Baptist Church of Fairview. And, man, they got a lot of things going. Let's go be a part of that church. But, but they, had, they had lost the reliance upon the Holy Spirit of God. They were just going through the motions. And Christ looked at that church and says, hey, you're a dead church. Now, how do we know that? If we go back and look at these other churches, they, this church had no pressure from outside. You remember all the other churches? You remember the church that had the, the Jews that were accusing the church? This is a big Jewish colony here, but there's no pressure from the Jews. They're not. They're not. They're not pressuring the church at all. They're not calling them heretics. They're not. They're not saying they're going against the Jewish faith. You remember the the, the false prophets as we've seen in other churches? There's no mention of any false prophets here. There's no mention of uh, the Nicolaitans to be guarded against. You know, Christ mentioned them two or three times in the church. He said, watch out, be on guard for this. I hate the deeds of those. There's no Jezebel mentioned here. There's no female uh, seducers in this church. I mean, we don't see any pressure from anybody inside or outside the church. And folks, you better believe if, if the Satan is right where you, he wants you, he's not going to put any pressure on you because you're going exactly where he wants you to go. And that's what we see in this church. They were content with what they had and with the activities they had. And because they were content, Christ says, you know what, you're not growing, you're just dying on the vine. So that moves us on to the counsel he gives them. He explains where they are. He says, hey, this is where you are as a church. Now I have this counsel for you. And Jesus provides this counsel, his word, and uh, he gives them five different commandments. I always kind of hate to give you how many numbers because I know you count them off and think, all right, we're finally to number five. But let me give you some bad news. good news. After these five, I have a couple more. So, so bear with me. So here's the counsel, counsel that Jesus gives. Verse 2 says, Wake up and strengthen what remains, for it's about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. And remember then what you received and heard, and keep it and repent. But if you'll not wake up, I'll come like a thief, and you'll not know what hour I'll come, and I will come against you. As we read these verses, I want you to think about this. Think about the patience of Jesus Christ. Think about the patience over and over in all of these churches. What has he said? He says, hey, I want you to repent. I have counsel for you. I'm not turning my back on you. I'm not leaving you. I'm not abandoning you. I'm not forsaking you. I'm not saying, hey, I'm not interested anymore. I'm going to move on. He says, I want you to repent. I'm giving you this counsel, and that word that he gives us, he says, become one who is watchful. That's his first bit of counsel. And, and that, that word is a present tense commandment. In other words, it means something that we need to be doing continually. It's not the ideal that we would just wake up, but, it, but Christ says you need to wa- wake up and continually be watchful. Now, why would that be relevant to this church? And I'm talking about this church at Sardis. Here's the reason they would have heard that. They would have said, oh God, Christ is saying, wake up and be watchful and be alert. It could be this, that, that the church in the light of their history, the Sardis, listen to what happened. As I mentioned earlier, uh, that they lived on this fortified rock, this 1,500-foot sheer cliff, but they had been taken twice in the past. And the way they were taken the first time in, in 546 BC, Cyrus and then uh Antius the Great in 216 BC, they both took this city by how do you think they did it? You remember what you remember what uh what uh Francis did? Remember he he hung those cans in the trees out there at Swiss Family Robinson, and they said, Nobody will ever come up this side. That's what they did they found a trail up the side of this cliff and they attacked Sardis when they least expected it. In other words, Sardis was looking this way, saying, you know what, we're a fortified city, we'll be fine. And all of a sudden, as a thief in the night, the enemies came up where they never expected them to come from. Folks, I think we need to listen to what Paul says. He says in 1 Corinthians, Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands... Take heed, lest he should fall. In other words, Paul says, and we see the Holy Spirit through John saying, Hey, church, when you think you have a stand, when you say, Hey, we're all guarded, everything is going good, Christ says, Take heed, be watchful, every watchful, lest you should fall. Here's the second thing. He says, Strengthen that which remains. He doesn't tell them to completely abandon what they have in place. He doesn't say just throw it all over and start over again. He says strengthen what you already have. Apparently there were some activities going on in this church that were being engaged by some of those that had not sold their clothes, the Bible says, and, and Christ says, hey, continue to do those things, continue to strengthen those things, build upon what you already have. And when we find in our Christian life that, hey, I've struggled in a lot of areas, but but i want to build on what I know is right and build upon those things. Here's the next thing, the third thing. He says, remember how you received and heard. Now, I don't want to spend a lot of time here, but that word, that Greek word there is literally how. Now, most translations are going to say remember what, but that, that word actually is how. So what Christ is saying to the church is remember how, you received what you received now I want you to think about this on your own how did you receive you don't have to answer this but how did you receive Jesus Christ? the Bible tells us how we received if you're born again Christian you know how you receive the Christ how you received Jesus Christ you received Jesus Christ through the wisdom and through the drawing of the Holy Spirit that's how you received Christ so he looks at this church and says remember how you heard and how you received. So he's asking that church, hey, rely upon the Holy Spirit. Paul says this, so also no one comprehends the thought of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things that He has freely given us by God. And we impart in these words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. If you don't have that underlined in your Bible, I'd encourage you to go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verses 10 through 13 and look at what Paul is telling us. Remember how we receive God, how we receive Jesus Christ, and we only have understanding of God through the Holy Spirit. So remember those things. Remember how you received and how you heard. Here's the fourth thing. He says continue to keep it. That's another present tense command. He says not only uh strengthen what remains, not remember how you received it and then keep it up. So what is it? What's he talking about where it says keep it up? That that word it, the original text has been added that we might understand it a little better, but but basically what he's saying is here's the ideal continue to keep your dependence on the Holy Spirit. So he says to the church, uh, depend upon the Holy Spirit. Keep it up. Keep up what you received. So he says, remember how you received it, and then keep it up. Keep remembering the Holy Spirit. And then lastly, he says, repent. And that's the same message in all six churches is this word, repent. Repent. There's a a sense of urgency in his command. And folks, today I want you to know there's a sense of urgency in our relationship with Jesus Christ. And Christ looks at the church and he says, repent. He has this ominous word of, of counsel there. He says, if not, I'll come like a thief in the night and I'll bring judgment against him. Remember how they had been taken Twice. They'd been taken by like a thief in the night. When they least expected it, that particular city had been conquered twice by by night, by thieves in the night because they failed to keep watch. So, So Jesus says to them, repent. Repent or you would fall. Then he has a challenge, and this is where we're going to close this morning. He has a challenge. To him who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments and I'll never blot his name out of the book of life and I'll confess his name before my Father and before his angels. There's three promises to overcome here and this is where there's just three left. So first he says "If you'll be clothed in white garments. We talked about this last week and even the week before, the clothed in white garments. We've already seen that the faithful remnant that's walking with Jesus is a, is a white, is a picture of purity. I think it's interesting that that Christ's followers are described three more times in Revelation, at least three more times, all wearing white. And listen, every time they're described in white, they're always in the presence of Jesus Christ. Do you hear that? Every time, they're always in the presence of Jesus Christ. So that ideal, that white robes represent our future physical presence with jesus christ that's what that represents that he says to them repent and those who overcome i'm promise you a future with physical presence with jesus christ that's what our salvation is it's what we've seen all the four previous messages to the church when he talks about being clothed in white he's talking about the righteousness that comes through jesus christ and he's talking about the presence of jesus christ so he tells the church when you remember how you received Christ, when you become more than Christians in name only, you're given a promise, the presence of Jesus Christ. Then he says your name will never be blotted from the book of life. Here again, we see the importance of a name. Remember, he's talking about the name, this church, that that he's naming, and the name has kind of been the focus. He says their name will never be blotted out of the book of life. That, that in the Greek, it's a double negative uh, that emphasizes that it's a positive truth. Now, I didn't figure that out on my own English teacher, I I promise you. (laughs) Uh, She's going, he must have read that because he didn't figure that out. But listen, it, it represents something. There's some negatives there, but it means it's positively, absolutely true. In John's day, every political entity, when someone was born, kept their name in a register. So when you were born, your name was put in this register, and it, it contained all the names of all the citizens. But anytime if a person died or a person committed crime, and because of their crime it resulted in their loss of citizenship, whoever that person would be, their, their privileges as a citizen were taken away, and their name would be covered up or blotted out of this book. In other words, if you went into this city and you'd say, uh, I'm a citizen of this town, and, and they went and they looked in the book and they said, no, your name was blotted out because you committed a crime and you lost your citizenship privileges. So when Christ gave a promise, he says, your name will never be blotted out. Now, I'm always looking for little messages, okay? If you want to just put something in there about eternal security, You know, that's a promise to us right there. When we receive Jesus Christ, we have eternal security. He says, your name will never be blotted out. I don't have a lot of time to to look here. Some people take that and say, well, in other words, you could lose your salvation, Christ could blot your name out. No, he doesn't say anything about blotting anyone's name out. He says, if you... If you return, if you if your your name will never be blotted out from the book of life, if you'll repent, if you'll confess. So when we when we are born again, Christ writes our name in that book and, and he says, I'll never remove it, I'll never blot it out. In other words, I'll you'll never lose your citizenship in heaven. If you would take your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter seven, that's where we're headed. And here's the last thing. So your names will never be, you'll be clothed in white garments. You'll be in the presence of Christ. You'll have your name written in indelible ink in the book of life. And lastly, he says, your name will be confessed before God the Father. Again, we see the significance of every individual believer. I talked about this last week. You know, Jesus Christ knows every one of us by name. He has a relationship with every one of us, and those that he don't have a relationship with, he sends the Holy Spirit to draw us unto himself, that we would have that personal relationship with him. He says, to those who overcome, those who repent, I'll confess their name before God the Father and before the angels. You know, I remember the, the, I started dating Denise. A lot of guys were like this. You know, you, you, uh, you start dating somebody and you don't tell anybody. You don't tell your parents right off, especially guys. I don't know if girls are like that. Uh, and then you, you guys always fall in love first, right? You know, we're always the ones that say we love you first. We just know we're smart. We know exactly what we want. So, but I, I still remember the first time I introduced Denise to my parents. I was excited about this because I wanted them to know her personally. I wanted them to 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 get to know her more deeply. And to know her as I knew her, and and so I brought her home and introduced her to my dad and mom, and uh, I, by doing that, I was proclaiming something to them. I was proclaiming that she's associated with me, and I want you to accept her because she's exo- she's associated to me. And and with that, I wanted them to get to know her. I wanted them to get to love her. I wanted them to 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 understand everything about her. Well, one day Jesus is going to do that for you. If you're a born-again Christian, one day he's going to take you before the Father and he's going to say, Father, this is Jake Vaughn. He may have me a new name by then. I don't know. He may say, this is J.C. Vaughn or this is J.C. Vaughn Jr. But but because of my association with Jesus Christ, he's going to say, this is your child. He's a part of our family. And I want I want to introduce you. I want to confess his name because, God, he's taken the blood that you shed on Calvary through me, and he's He's claimed that blood as his own, and, and he's covered in my righteousness, and I claim him as my own. Now here's the, one of the scariest passages of Scripture, I think, in the Bible. And it talks about Christians in name only. And it's Matthew chapter 7, and this is where we're going to close. Boy, that ain't been opened in a while, has it? <laughs> now listen to this. This is Jesus teaching, Sermon on the Mount. He says, "Not everyone to say that says to me." This is verse twenty-one. Not everyone to say, that says to me, "Lord, Lord," will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the fa- the will of my Father who is in heaven, who is in heaven. and verse twenty-two. And many to me on that day will say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And did we not drive out demons in your name? And did we not perform many miracles in your name? Then I'll tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. You know, as Jesus Christ was teaching, he said, there's some people that they know me they know everything about Jesus. They believe in Jesus. You know what? The Bible says demons believe in Jesus Christ and they shudder when they think about it. We can know about God. We can know about sermons. We can know about revelation. We can know about the church age. But until we confess Jesus Christ as Lord, we're lost. I want, to, I want you to bow your heads and I ask you to start this morning to say, Lord, just show me my spiritual condition with you. I heard a preacher say one time there's, there's 18 inches difference between heaven and hell. And that's from your heart to your brain. I heard it from the knee, from your knee to the floor too, but from the heart to your brain. Because we can have all the intellectual knowledge of God's word. We can hear, we can believe, we can understand, we can, we can go through the motions just like the church at Sardis. But until we say, God, I have sinned and I have fallen short of your plan, until we ask for that gift of Jesus Christ's blood, then Christ will say, go away from me. I never knew you. This morning, I want to offer a time of invitation. And if you've never accepted Christ, you know what would keep us in our seats? We talked about this Wednesday night, pride. Well, people think I'm a Christian. People see me at church. People see the people... Forget about people. This between you and God right now. I don't want to raise any doubts, but I don't want anybody to leave here with any doubts either. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you're a Christian in name only. You know the programs, the traditions, the, you go through all of those motions just like every good Christian should, but you know down deep you've never accepted Jesus Christ. I want to offer invitation to you. I have a preacher friend of mine preached at Fairview. His wife said I was in a ladies' Bible study. They said, let's go around and introduce ourselves and tell about the time we accepted Christ. She said, my husband's a preacher. They got to me and I knew I had never received Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. I have an uncle, ordained deacon, walked the aisle one day and said, you know what, I'm ordained deacon and I have never accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. This morning, if the Holy Spirit is wooing you, if the Holy Spirit is calling you, would you let go and turn your life over to Christ? We'll have the instruments just going to play a song of invitation. We're going to have a word of prayer, and then we'll stand for the invitation. Father, Lord, I pray today that your spirit would move within the heart of your people. Lord, there's nothing I can say, nothing I can do that will draw people into you. But Father, we know only through the drawing of your Spirit, that we become Christians in more than just name only. And Father, today I pray would be the day of salvation for those who've never accepted you. They have all the knowledge, all the understanding, but down deep, they've never accepted you as their personal Savior. Father, I pray today would be the day of salvation. And we turn this time over to you in Jesus' name.